0: purple elephant shower thought of the day first one of season two the most awkward thing as a kid is reading a birthday card out loud while pretending not to only care about the money inside this is purple elephant radio where we hear about storytelling originality and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter i'm your host sean green (laughs) Okay, today I'm starting off the new season with uh, a cousin and an amazing teacher. She's a teacher at Rockwood, in the Rockwood School District, teaching kindergarten. Uh, Six, this is her sixth year uh, teaching. And I really am excited to dive in, just in this season, in this episode, on teaching kids and adults and teaching people about creativity and what that means. And I'm so glad to have Allie Green as my first guest of this series. Welcome, Allie.
1: Hi, Sean. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. So to start, I always like to kind of keep it uh, open-ended with my first question. I just want to hear your origin story and how you got into teaching and teaching kindergarten.
1: Yeah. So as you know, um, I have always loved little kids. And growing up, I started teaching, um, actually with our cousin Kelly, I started teaching um, summer school. And we would work with the little babies and the toddlers. And it kind of just grew from there. As a little girl, I would come home and do my homework by teaching my stuffed animals. And at an early age, they were my students. And My love for kids and teaching just grew and I've always known I wanted to be a teacher and young students have been my favorite group. So this is my sixth year teaching kindergarten and I've always taught the little ones.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you never, like in college, it was always you wanted to be a teacher. There was no kind of like switching majors, switching anything like that.
1: It's the craziest thing. Even before college, I always knew it was teaching and When I started Mizzou, I went into the teacher college and I always was there. It was a passion of mine since I was little.
0: And it was always, it's always been teaching younger kids.
1: Yeah, my, I honestly love infants in the preschool age. Um, So I got my degree in early childhood and um, kindergarten is just, For me, it's the innocence of the age. I love how innocent my kids are and they love school. So it makes my job really easy because they want to come to school every day.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think so that kind of like early child development, like that teaching, I think is so different from a lot of the other teaching things where, you know, in middle school and high school, you pick a subject to teach to know all about. But you kind of have this generalized knowledge. So I'm just curious when you're learning to teach, um, is there more of a focus on kind of just, I I don't know, what is the focus? Because you're not necessarily focusing on a specific subject. Are you trying to like inspire something in the kids or just kind of keep them all under control? I mean, what kind of stuff are you, uh, learning to teach?
1: Yeah, a lot of it for early childhood is the development. So, um, when these students start as infants at preschool, what are the different stages and where are they with their development? So, a lot of what I learned in college was step by step how they develop and the stepping stones to teach to. Um, But the craziest thing is they do a lot of student teaching and working in the classrooms and in the preschools and. I think that for me is where i got most of my experience and learning is actually engaging with the kids from different grade levels um but i have to say as much as i learned in college there is nothing that can prepare you for teaching until you step inside of your own classroom
0: yeah so what 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 was that like that first year of teaching that first day
1: the nerves are out of control it's so funny because i think back of when i was going to school and how nervous i was going to sleep the night before starting a new school year and you don't know it then but the teacher's just as nervous you you get that list of your students and there's all of these names and they mean nothing to you and you read them and you're like oh i have to remember all these names and by the end of the year you'll never forget those names and you hear the name and like I hear names all the time and it's a little spark in my brain. I just, those students, those personalities, they just stick with you.
0: Yeah, and I'm just curious, who was your favorite teacher growing up? Like, Do you think you have been inspired by any teachers from your past?
1: Absolutely. So I started kindergarten at a different, went to McKelvey, and then we moved for first grade. And so it was hard. I started at a school. I didn't know the kids. My school was kind of clicky. They had their friend groups and everything was all set. And then I came, kind of came into that classroom. And so my first grade teacher, Mrs. Bateman, she made me feel so comfortable. And she did such a good job kind of getting me into a classroom that was already a little family and friend group and making me feel comfortable and like I was part of that class and that school.
0: With that, do you think that you kind of tried to make your classroom into a community? Where are are you doing any? Let's say there's a shy kid or like something like that? Are you trying to do like these kind of community building exercises with the little kids?
1: Absolutely, it's funny because when you're in school, you don't think about all of the community building and activities that you do. But once you're on the other side of it, most of my job revolves around that. And I tell my kids all the time, Miss Green's job is to teach you about math and reading and social studies and science. But my biggest job of all, I tell them all the time, one thing that you need the rest of your life is how to be kind, how to interact with other people. Um, We do a lot of social emotional learning because these kids, they don't have the skills that they need when they're feeling angry or shy. Most of my job is teaching that. So it's kind of, it is really interesting.
0: Yeah. And I think that's so like, it's weird hearing you say that because I mean, I don't really remember my kindergarten experience too much. Like I could tell you my teacher, I could tell you like what kind of what the classroom looked like but I don't remember all the little things and I would hope that we did it. I mean, I only did kindergarten half day, so I think it was different for me, but just, I remember from kindergarten, like, okay, I learned my sight words and Mm -hmm. maybe a couple other things, but it really wasn't, I guess just for school in general, I never considered how the teacher might be focusing on stuff beyond just the curriculum, um, but do you put like a lot of conscious effort into that, would you say?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Especially right now. It's it's challenging. Um, I'm actually teaching through Zoom. So my students, I have 14 kids and we teach through Zoom. It's the full school day, but through a computer lens. And it's something that is so different. These kids are five years old and... It worries me because there's no social interaction but they still need to learn those social skills and how to interact with other kids and so right now I'm, it's really on my mind of how can i use a computer screen and get those skills of interacting and so it cracks me up one thing i started this year is we do a, um, a boys and a girls play date and so they they love it it's basically show and tell but They are little sponges It cracks me up because they lead this whole play day. And so as I sit back and kind of facilitate and listen, I get a kick out of it because my students will call on a friend and they'll go to answer a question and say, oh, I don't know. And the little kid will say, oh, I can tell you need some more time to think. How about I call on another friend and then I'll come back to you and it made me realize they just t- they they soak everything in and they listen to every word that i say and they start with those mannerisms and so i think to your point is that community building and that you know teaching those skills of being kind it starts with me and so i have to be really careful about everything that i say and how i phrase things because they listen and a lot of what they do reflects what i do So the patience of, you know, when a student doesn't know what to say, or there's an issue that occurs, I really have to think in my head, how am I going to approach this in a way that they can use this as an example?
0: Right. And I think just staying on zoom in school, I think I have a good contrast having just done a full semester of zoom classes in college. And I think hearing you say that, I almost wish I had those kids in my class because I, I have a lot of class. I had a lot of classes that were discussion-based people. And I mean, I'm probably guilty of this too, but people just, when there is only a screen and they can turn off their camera, they're not going to participate. And I, I think I'm curious if, um, cause this is such like the new generation of, Kindergarten kids, if they're going to take that learning and just be highly social and highly considerate and kind of emotionally aware through Zoom and through um, online learning. Because I feel like that's something that my age group, the college kids, and even the high school kids never really learned.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: Yeah, just to put that into, a, I guess, a question for you. Do you think, like, how do you think if you were in school now, how, and you didn't learn this, like, what would it be like for you?
1: This whole thing is such a learning experience and it has been from the very beginning. And I think I have to say out of my six years teaching, this has been the most challenging year just because about every two weeks, something changes. And so it is all about that flexibility. And I, I understand where the students are coming from because I I still do professional development through zoom and I am as guilty as you are. You know, when you hop on that meeting and everyone has their camera off you're like oh okay okay i'm going to turn my camera off and i'm just going to relax and then so. I think that is one thing I t- take into my teaching is that there has to be interaction and if there is no interaction there's no learning that's occurring because. Like I said, when I sit in those Zoom meetings, if I'm not participating, I'm not learning and I'm I'm gonna take a break. So I think that has been the biggest challenge of that. What point do I say, okay, we have to turn our voices off and listen to the lesson as to what point, or we're gonna just keep going back and forth and engaging. It's a hard balance because I truly believe that that interaction needs to be there for them to learn that information. So that's been something I've been kind of struggling with that balance and building community on zoom, but also teaching my subject areas and getting in everything that I need to get in.
0: Yeah. And I'm, that just made me think of kind of thinking back to my own, uh, elementary school experience of this kind of hand raising, uh, epidemic where, you know, I feel like I became conditioned to raise my hand and it was no fault on anyone. I mean, it made sense for the teacher so that they could get their point across. But then I think when it carried over to, uh, late, later high school and college, I was just so uncomfortable with freely discussing. I kind of had unlearned that skill, even though I don't think it's skill, but, um, I'm curious because the zoom is such a different format where it's Everyone is kind of on the same playing field. Like, it's not like kids are sitting down, you're standing up. Everyone kind of looks um, the same, same sized box on Zoom. Mm-hmm. So do you, so you do, you, it sounds like you have time for like open discussions, but then you also have time for, okay, everyone mute yourself and listen. And then, do you have like a, a system for if someone wanted to speak up it and had a question?
1: Yeah, so it's so funny with Zoom and the reactions. I do have a lot of the virtual hand raising. um, And a lot of kids, if they agree with something, they'll do thumbs up, thumbs down, or the heart emoji. But it's really cool with the technology we have. Um, We actually do breakout rooms in kindergarten. So, you know, we'll start as a whole group discussion and we'll do a little sharing in the morning and storytelling. But then we can go out into breakout rooms so that they can have a small group of four kids and get that discussion going. Um, in kindergarten, it's a little bit challenging because even if they don't mean to, they can cut each other off, you know, if there's a pause in the connection. So we've gotten to a point now where they are so considerate and they know if someone's speaking that it's not their turn. But it it's just a different world. And from the beginning of the school year, I have to tell you, it was – really, really hard. And at first, you know, the kids were on meeting themselves all the time and shouting out and it was, we call it in kindergarten organized chaos, you know, you never knew what you were coming into. And it was a learning learning time, like we were all on the same playing field. And we started that first day and we adjusted every single day. And now here we are at winter break. And they're in such a routine and groove that I am so impressed that these 5 year olds can sit on a computer screen all day and learn it's it's truly amazing
0: oh yeah and i mean i can't even imagine the the chaos as you said like that might have happened even like even with the small amount of time pr- to prepare like you know we had the summer we knew about this but still i can't even imagine how stressful that must have been but i do want to transition a little bit from the Zoom and just anything that I ask you, just take it under the window of your all your years of teaching where it's not all pandemic uh, related. Because I do think we'll find uh, some sense of normalcy later and it's not always going to be on Zoom. And I know even some of the other classes are doing in person. But so I guess I, I want to know. When it comes to your students and your now six years of new faces, do you notice patterns between who might be kind of the, um, like artistically gifted leadership oriented? Do you notice these patterns in the, the kids at such a young age?
1: Absolutely. It's, it's there day one. And like I said, those little personal personalities come out, it takes a little bit of time. Those first two weeks, they're all really quiet and shy. And then you slowly start to see those personalities come out and they're there at age five already. And my job is to build on those personalities and those skills. But like you said, I can, I can vividly in my head see all the little faces of my kids that strive with anything arts and crafts related. And all day long, the screen, are we going to do an art project? And that's what they need to learn. That is their platform. So I, as a teacher, I try to take all those personalities and where they all come from and what is best for them and and take all of those things and kind of make a mixture of what works for everyone.
0: Right. And I think uh, it's kind of funny because you said before that you've always wanted to be a teacher and I kind of remember you've always had this like almost gift for arts and crafts and just doing cool stuff whether it's with food or with little things at the holidays um so do you think that you kind of bring that to the like you bring your own um personality and tendencies whether if you prefer arts and crafts or some other thing like discussions like you kind of bring that to your classroom
1: Oh yeah, definitely. We do a lot of hands-on activities and I kind of believe in that. I think like I was saying before, they need to be engaging and a big part of that is cutting and manipulating and using the things in front of them to learn the big picture. So I really do think that an art project is a way to kind of transform a big picture of a learning objective into something that makes sense to them and also brings that excitement to the classroom. They have so much fun with that, as do I.
0: Like, okay, so this is kind of a more general question, but when it comes to curriculum and what you're required to teach versus what you add on, is there, how much of a difference is there? Is it you're sticking with the book or, oh, I found this new uh, arts and crafts opportunity that you know no one told me about, but I think it would be relevant to the lesson? Like what kind of do you bring that um, the curriculum doesn't require you to?
1: So it honestly kind of depends on administration. I'm really lucky because my principal feels like she hired the professionals and she feels like we are the ones that are supposed to be teaching the kids. So she gives us that permission, you do what you think is best for kids. So I feel really lucky where I have the curriculum in front of me and I use it as a guide, but if I read something and I think that's not going to work, I, do, I take it into an art project or I replace it with something that I do think is going to work. But honestly, kindergarten is a big, it's really a sales job. Everything that I do, I'm trying to sell something. So even like reading lessons, um, a lot of times we'll start with a story. And I'll tell them a story about something that happened at home really dramatic and they can't believe what happened and they're asking all these questions and they want to know more. And so you're really building it up and then you tie it with something that links to reading. And, for example, right now we're, we're doing reading and we use superpowers. So we talk about superheroes and how um, their powers when there's kryptonite around, they are, their powers aren't as strong. And so when we read, we have kryptonite words that they try to make our powers not as strong, but we can make them stronger by using all these different skills. And they buy into that. And they're excited about reading and they, Miss Green, Miss Green, I use my, I use my super reading, my focus scopes and I zoomed in and they're so excited and they have, I have my reading cape on and it's working. I just figured out a kryptonite word. So it's it's kind of that imagination too it's you know sitting and reading alone is not as exciting as oh my goodness you just got a super cape and you just got a super reading pointer and we're going to point to our words you know it's those Mm -hmm. little things
0: yeah i i'm really glad you said something about storytelling because that's such a, a interesting thing and i think my teachers did that in elementary school and i They'd kind of forgotten about it until you said something, but I do, and I like that you called it a, a sales job because that's such a great way of phrasing it. Do you think that it becomes less of a sales job as um, a teacher teaches older grades? Do you think kind of kindergarten is like win them over with the sales, and then it slowly is just like they buy in, or do you think it's always going to be a sales job?
1: You know, that's a really good question. Um, I have to say, I have only taught kindergarten and from my end, that excitement is what builds the excitement in the classroom. But I think at any grade level, if the teacher is not excited about what they're teaching, how are you going to have kids want to learn that subject matter? Even in high school, when I sat in front of a teacher that just lectured, I wasn't engaged. I didn't buy into that class. But when I went to a a different classroom with a teacher who was passionate about what they were teaching, who cared about their students, I loved walking in that door. I didn't want to leave that classroom. So I I do think that that passion needs to be there for people, for kids to buy in.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes a teacher's excitement can even carry somewhat over the – if a lesson is kind of dull – um, cause I think of just recently my, um, Italian teacher who like when we would have to learn something about grammar, she would be like, yeah, I know this is rough. I know this is boring, but we're just going to suffer through it. But like, she would kind of empathize with us and that almost made it easier to where it's like, she's not just teaching obliviously, not aware that this is hard for us. She's like, I know this is hard. Well, I know we're going to take it slow and then we'll watch like a short film the next class. And it kind of like would add that reward system
1: mm-hmm.
0: into the lesson to kind of make those moments. I- I'm curious do you do any type of rewards with your um, students at all?
1: Um, absolutely. We use something called Go Noodle. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but it's a lot of um, like brain breaks and getting up and moving. And um, so a lot of what I'll do is I'll teach. And for my kids, 10 to 15 minutes sitting tops, they can't go more than that. So I'll, I'll teach a lesson, we'll get up, we'll do a movement break. And so with this app, once they get 10 lessons, their characters grow and they get a their character, little poster and we color them in and so it's just little activities like that. We do other things as far as compliments. If we get a compliment from a principal or walking nicely in the hallway, we'll kind of add them to our compliment jar. And then the reward system with that is we'll have a PJ day or bring your favorite stuffed animal or we'll watch a show. They, they love any type of reward, not even a thing, just something as a class, I try to do more so of community building activity instead of items or material
0: yeah Yeah, i totally remember the like uh, box tops and trying to get like pizza challenges or pajama days or you know donut party whatever it might be um yeah i totally remember all those and those were such a fun thing
1: that's what sticks out you know what i mean when i think about elementary school i see those pajama days or in my in kindergarten, we hatch chicks. That's what I remember about kindergarten. So I think we have to have those fun incentives or those fun big projects that make them remember that experience or that year.
0: I'm curious. And I know we said, stop touching on zoom stuff. But when it comes to gym, what do you in recess? I mean, what kind of stuff do you do? Is it, are you taking kind of motor breaks with them on the calls or is it just like, all right, go outside, have your lunch and then come back on the the, call?
1: The specialists actually still teach PE online. Um, so they'll do a zoom call and they'll do an activity. But as far as recess goes, they're kind of on their own with that, but it is pretty funny. I still teach in the classroom and, um, one time we were doing a math activity and it was involving counting and jumping jacks and standing up and dancing. And I'm standing up in my classroom, you know, looking like a crazy person doing jumping jacks and dancing in front of my computer screen. And the principal walks in (laughs) and I'm like, Oh, wow, this is not as embarrassing when it's just me, but um, it's a little uncomfortable when someone's watching you do these same activities online. So I'm trying to keep it, as much as possibly, possible, the same as what we do inside the real classroom, so that they can have that full experience. And yeah, those brain breaks are crucial. So we do a quick lesson and then we stand up and we do go needle together through the computer screen. And that buy-in, if I don't do it with them, they don't wanna do it. So it's, it's pretty important that the teacher wants to be there and is engaged with everything that the kids do throughout the day and it it's it cracks me up because sometimes I'm like oh this day's going great this was I just taught the best lesson I think they're so into this and then I see a little hand go up and I call on them and they're like did you know that my dog's birthday was yesterday I'm like oh maybe that lesson didn't go as well as <laughs> I thought <laughs> you still have those days where you know their little minds wander and you just do the best that you can. You mm-hmm. try to relate.
0: Right. Okay, so this is kind of a pretty open-ended question, but in your opinion, for from your experience, what are the top three myths of teaching?
1: Hmm. That's a good one. Um, I think... In society in general, I think teachers don't always have the best reputation. Um, especially right now with everything going on, I, I feel like a lot of people think that, you know, teachers are trying to get out of things and, you know, they want to they teach on the computer because they don't want to go to work. And I think what people don't realize necessarily that teaching is not a job that you just walk away from. So even though my job hours are, you know, nine to four, when four o'clock hits, I just, it's not like I just leave and the day's over. I don't think people realize that, you know, I'll spend hours at school and go up to school on the weekends and um, you walk away and you have these little these little kids still on your mind. And if somebody at school said something or they're dealing with issues at home, you're dealing with them too. And so you can't just put that to the side where some jobs, you know, you go to work and you work all day and then you leave and you you have the, the night to do what you want to do. I feel like when you walk away from your day of teaching, you're still constantly reflecting and you're still worrying about that little friend that had a hard day. It's not just a a five-day work week, it's constant, and I'm constantly thinking of ideas, or I'm constantly on Pinterest, or things are always on my mind, and you always want to do more, so I, i from our family especially, I, we, we don't have teachers, and I kind of never knew what, what teaching looked like, you know, I, I was so excited and passionate, but it's truly a challenging job, and I don't think People really understand how much goes into it, and so I think that's a myth of sometimes the view that society has on teachers and the respect that we get.
0: Oh yeah, and I think, um, yeah, from like an external point of view, it's like, oh, um, they don't. There's no school in the summer, and but it's like, I I love hearing you talk about that where it's it's more than just the hours that it looks like you're working, like it's to constantly think about it. And I think more than any other profession, maybe, um, therapy or a therapist would be comparable, but just like thinking about your, the kids or thinking about others, even when you're not on the clock. And I do think that's, I, I, I can see how that can be, um, underappreciated. So if that's one, what's a uh, number two?
1: Let me think of this. Man, these are, this is a good one.
0: And you can think of it either when you were a, a student learning or when you were in college learning how to teach. So either or. Because you did say nothing prepared you for that that first day.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's another thing, uh, that preparation. I feel like you can go to school, you can go to college and – did get your degree as a teacher, but that first classroom that you have, nobody can prepare you for that. And so we do a lot of um, student teaching and all of those activities where you're in a classroom, but until you're in charge of that room yourself, you kind of you're learning as you go. And you are trying to figure it out on your own. So I guess another myth is that sometimes college can prepare you for your your career. And it gives you the background knowledge that you need. But I think like any career, once you're in that position on your own and by yourself, you have to figure out if you're going to sink or how to float. It's your responsibility to kind of learn from there. Um, And kind of on that end too, so my 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 undergrad degree prepared me for that development of kind of how to teach, you know, that style of teaching and what you need to teach throughout the day, but in 2018 I got my degree as a reading specialist and that right there kind of gave me that. um, Super focus on that reading and that development of the brain so. um. Kind of ironically enough, another myth is that, even as an adult, as an adult teacher, for teaching for six years, that education never stops. And so, you know, people think that, oh, you know, a teacher's been teaching for 25 years. It must be easy for them now. It's not, it's always changing. The curriculum's changing. The style of teaching that's best for kids is always teaching. Being a teacher, your job is to learn. And your job is to figure out how kids learn. And so you can't just keep it the same way every year. I've been teaching for six years and every year is different. You know, you have different kids. They have different styles of learning. You can't teach the same way every year and it be successful.
0: Yeah. Okay. So just to summarize those um, three myths, it seems like myth one is that teachers don't work as much so they're not... I don't know, they don't work as hard. That's myth number one. Myth number two is that you can kind of learn everything you need to know through college, through just being taught it, before you get in to kind of the bullpen of the classroom. And myth three is that once you're a teacher, once you have this experience, you don't need to keep learning. Those are all myths. Would you say yes. that those summarize it well?
1: Absolutely.
0: Okay, um... Uh, I kind of want to touch back on that That reading specialist. Is that a master's yes. program? Yeah, so mm-hmm. did you dive in a little bit into the psychology and actual like brain, you mentioned brain development. Can you give us a little science lesson on how that works when they're that young, when kids are that yeah. young? Yeah,
1: so um, my undergrad prepared me for what I needed to teach. But I realized once I got into the classroom and I kind of took on that position as the role of a teacher, I realized that I was lacking in some training for reading. And um, you probably don't remember, but uh, the one of the biggest part of my job is teaching kids how to read. So they come in with, when you think of kindergarten, you think of the ABCs and you think of sight words and sounds That's what most people think of, but they don't realize is that by time my kids leave in May, they need to be reading at a level D, which is from going from ABCs to the level D, there's a lot involved in that process. So I felt like I wasn't trained well enough and I wasn't prepared on what to do to teach these kids how to read and how to help them be successful at reading. So the training that I've been My master's degree at Lindenwood, it was all focused on the brain and um, a lot of which parts of the brain are used while reading. Um, What kind of things to look for for students that are having reading trouble, you know, those key factors that if you see this, that might be a sign that you need to watch that kid. Um, Dyslexia is a big thing right now for um, reading, especially at the early ages and so within the last year, I started a, a training program called letters. And it's been that that same kind of thing of that development. And what does reading look like in that development and those key signs that stick out as red flags. So if you see this, here's where you need to take it. Um, so that my master's degree has just really kind of helped me zoom into what reading development should look like. Mm,
0: yeah. I'm just curious, based on what you've learned. Well, this is more of an open topic for discussion, but I noticed in myself and in other people, maybe high school is where the desire to read kind of dropped for me. Um, So, like, in elementary school, I kind of... It's kind of like a gradual peak or gradual uphill where I'm, like, getting more into reading. I finally... Can finish a chapter book, and then it's like it really uh, hurdles up because I can finish those bigger books, and then in early middle school I really you know get into the dystopian fiction, Hunger Games, uh, Divergent, and all that stuff, and then we get to like eighth grade freshman year, and it drops. Even when I'm being required to read books in high school, I may still read some of those books, probably wouldn't finish them but I'm not choosing to read on my own. I'm curious, based on what you've learned and just intuition, why do you think that drops?
1: I think that is so common. And I even think back to myself, I never was a reader. I never enjoyed reading. And actually I struggled with it when I was little. I had a really hard time reading. And I think that's a big part of why I wanted to learn about the brain and reading is because I had such a hard time with it. but yeah, it wasn't until a couple of years ago, probably when I was 24, that I actually enjoyed reading. And now I love reading. And I think a big part of it is because I'm not expected to read. You know, I'm not expected to read these textbooks and to read for that information piece. Now I'm reading for enjoyment. And so in kindergarten, that's the huge push is making and reading fun any way that we can, wanting our kids to read. So for our students that don't even know how to read, telling the stories that they see, looking at the pictures and coming up with their own story, a big part of it is being a storyteller. And we teach them that at a young age, but I I think two things happen. One, for those kids that struggle, that gap just keeps growing. And by the time they get in fifth grade, you know, they're they're reading at a second grade level and it's embarrassing because they can't read what their peers are reading. And so sometimes I, I don't think that those kids get the skills and strategies that they need and they just kind of give up. And as you get older, it becomes harder to realize when kids are struggling with reading because you read to yourself. And so teachers don't see that struggle. Um, so I think it's that early intervention is key. At, at kindergarten and first grade, second grade, Um, that phonemic awareness, playing with sounds, manipulating sounds, that is crucial to get that when they're young so that we don't have as big as a gap as they get older. Um, But also, like you're saying, you need to make that reading exciting, even when you're in eighth grade, even when you're in college. So as a teacher in an older grade, having book studies where the kids pick out the title of the book that they want to read not necessarily saying, okay, today you're going to read The Great Gatsby. They're not buying into that book. But if you give them that choice of what they want to read, I think it really helps for them to buy into that. And that, that enjoyment needs to be there. Um, I, I think one thing that's really interesting in some of the courses that I've taken is that it stresses the importance of seeing yourself as a reader. And so... Um, for example, the parents of my students should emerge their kids in reading, showing their kids that they read magazines and reading the newspaper in the morning and teaching them that these tools are all around us and, you know, their parents see themselves as readers. So the kid says, oh, I'm a reader too. So it's kind of that, you know, self-reflection of, oh, I am a reader. I can do this, but also it needs to be that enjoyment. So I thought it was interesting. It says some of my texts say things like putting books in places where um, there's nothing else to do. So when you're driving in the car, there's a stack of books there. I can't do anything else. So reading is exciting because you have no other choice and that's the only activity you can do. So I think little things like that is important so that um, that engagement piece is there and that excitement to want to read is there.
0: Yeah. And I think, um, hearing you say that of, like, when that's the only option, I think that becomes so hard once kids get a phone or an iPad or whatever device it may be. And I, I don't really know. I think that probably would have been a big part of it for me on why stopped because I always had the phone. I always had the iTouch um, or TV, and I never had those, like, forced – not forced, but just, like, there was nothing else to do. But I Mm -hmm. loved, the one thing I loved hearing you say is being forced to read versus choosing to read and choosing the identity of a reader. Because I think that's the shift that happened for me. And for me, it kind of shifted from why do I, why am I reading? I don't even want to read. And then realizing the practicality of what I was reading. So for me, just my current, like what I'm reading now, it's become less of, it's still fun. I still enjoy it, but I wouldn't say I'm reading for fun. I'm reading for pleasure. I'm saying I'm reading for practicality. I'm reading to uh, learn more about myself or learn more about this topic. And I'm just curious. So I think that way it's different, but I kind of had to come to that conclusion myself of like, why, why would I read this book? And then I realized the answer is, Oh, there is useful stuff here.
1: Exactly. And I think too, for me, it just wasn't exciting you know i never related to a book until all those textbooks were put away and a, a book fell in front of me and all of a sudden it's like you're you're on a trip you know you kind of get into that book and you're on a vacation and all of a sudden you're in that world and so yeah i've got really into mysteries and thrillers but then like you said that practicality piece of all of a sudden, I really enjoy books that help me grow and to help me see with a different mindset and books that help me teach my students with a different view. All of a sudden, those are exciting to me. So I think that lens, once you open it up, it's endless and all these different opportunities to learn about the past and the future. And it's reading can take us so many different places and it's really important that those kids have that opportunity themselves.
0: Yeah, and I've never really had a chance to ask someone this or discuss it, but between fiction and nonfiction books, because right now I feel like I almost have an aversion to fiction books. I have to almost force myself to read them, even though I don't have to force myself to read anything. But it's like it feels more of a challenge because I think I've ingrained in myself. It has to be practical. I, I can't read for enjoyment. I'm curious, in your eyes... Do you th- what do you think the benefit of both is? Because, I mean, obviously, the benefit of nonfiction is you have new knowledge about yourself or something else. What's the benefit of fiction?
1: Honestly, reading any type of book at all, um, that it expands your vocabulary. And um, your, when you read, your brain picks up words that become, like, locked in your brain. You see them and you know them. And so the more you read, you become faster at it. And they kind of get ingrained into your mind and you see them, you don't even have to think anymore. So I think any type of reading, one, it keeps your mind working and your brain growing, which I think is beneficial to everybody. And, but two, for me, I love nonfiction books. Um, I love learning about things that have happened, you know? But fiction for me is almost like a Netflix. I get home from a long day of Zooming and I'm exhausted and I, I don't want to sit in front of the TV and watch more TV. I pick up a fiction story and I get lost in that story. And you can make the characters on your own and you can see what you want to see. And so sometimes that's more relaxing to, for me than to sit in front of the TV and watch Netflix. Yeah. And you can, you can kind of build what you want to see in your own mind.
0: Yeah. And I want to stay on books, but maybe take it down back to kindergarten. So, I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you have to get them reading to a, a level D, a level D reading level. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is kind of the shift from children's picture books and to chapter books. And I also want to shout out Sveta wonenberg because our episode that we did was all about how she wants to illustrate um, chapter books to make them more accessible to younger audiences. And to phrase that into a question for you, do you think the pictures get pe- get your kids more engaged? Like, what is that kind of, do you almost have to like wean kids off of um, picture books?
1: So... A huge part of reading at the beginning is using those pictures to help you figure out the words. So that's one of the skills that I teach. The first thing that my kids do when they read is they study the picture. And if they see a picture of a frog in the book and they come to a word that starts with an F, they know that it's going to be the word frog because of that correlation between the picture. So at the beginning in kindergarten it's all about the pictures and a lot of parents have that misconception of don't look at the picture but we want them using those pictures to help them um as far as chapter books go it's funny because i have kids that will pick up a book and look through it and there's no pictures and then they put it down because i think it's something that they're used to and um at that age they're not they're trying to do so many different things you know you can't even relate to them because it's so long ago, but they're looking at the letter, they're trying to figure out what the letter is, the sound that it makes, they're trying to blend all of those letters together to come up with a word and it's not an easy task. And so I think that for them to take that, what they're reading and to be able to understand it and to visualize it is really a hard thing for them to do. So they kind of benefit from looking at those pictures at an early age to help them understand what is happening in the story. If that makes sense. Oh
0: yeah, that definitely does. So, and I it's guess, kind of like a crutch. yeah. Do you ever have days where you feel stumped? Whether a kid asked you a question and you're like, I'm going to have to get back to you or, um, you know, something happens. What is an example of that? What are those days like, and how do you kind of overcome them?
1: Yeah, I think, honestly, that happens a lot. These kids are so excited to learn and they just are taking everything that they can get and they wanna soak it all in. And so I think a huge thing for me is telling my students, I don't know that answer. Like, I have no idea. Let's see if we can find the answer together. And so I think that's another big thing and part of kindergarten is showing my students that I don't know everything and how we can get that information from books, or how we can research it on the computer, and showing them, you know, when I get stumped, and I make a mistake, that mistakes are okay. And it's not just five year olds that make mistakes, but you know, 28 year olds make mistakes, and 50 year olds make mistakes, everybody does that. And so um, we work on having, you know, that flexible mindset of we're not going to just shut down. If we don't know something, we're not just going to sit here, we have to figure out what to do next. So being flexible in our learning is so important. And showing them how and what that looks like is crucial.
0: Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you kind of, I, I like this, of, well, first of all, being open and being like, Okay, I don't know everything. I think that's a huge, huge thing to teach kids. And so you kind of, do you integrate, um, like Google stuff and, you know, it's okay to look it up because I feel like this is almost an old school mindset of you shouldn't use Google because, um, like for this paper, for this test, or you shouldn't, um, use a database and it's like, or, um, what's a better example. If you're writing a, a paper in another language, cause I just had to do this, it's, uh, our teachers okay with us using Google Translate because it still requires you to think it through because typing your whole thing into Google translating putting it out isn't going to be right it's not going to sound normal and she'll be able to tell but she's like mm-hmm. use it for sentences and then figure out oh this looks grammatically incorrect based on what I've learned in the class and it still requires you to think through everything even using this unlimited tool of the internet. So do you kind of teach that like it's okay to use the Internet and lean on um, these different things and you don't have to know it all in your head? Do you think that's kind of a new style of teaching?
1: So my kids are so young that I wouldn't trust them to have Google in front of their fingertips. You know, my first year of teaching, I had an experience where I was trying to teach a student um, who did not speak English a, a simple word. And I looked it up on the site on Google and the image that I was trying to show her was not what came up. And, you know, we're in school and they have all these things so that these pictures and bad words don't pop up on the internet, but it still can happen. So for me, it's a little different because I have to be careful that that doesn't happen. So a lot of it is, Oh, Miss Green will research that, or, you know what, let's ask Mr. Brim, our librarian, if we have any books on this topic. And so, it's more of, you know, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to find out, uh, but not necessarily giving them Google at this age to do the exploring on their own, but showing them it's okay not to know something Yeah, and that you can still grow and learn these things.
0: Yeah. I'm curious because you've mentioned some of these other teachers, librarian, the gym teacher, do you, because you have the faculty meetings, do you keep in touch with some of the teachers from grades, above you and do you kind of pass information back and forth in terms of helping the students
1: absolutely um so at the end of the school year we always meet up with the the teach the new teacher that the student's getting and kind of say okay here's where we ended here's where they should start it's so important that especially kindergarten first grade has that open communication Because sometimes I have a student that's way past kindergarten. So I'll go to the first grade teacher and say, hey, my kid can do this. Do you have anything to support that? Or even to go to second grade and say, you know, my kids here in math. What do you think I should do to help them get more prepared? Um, So it's kind of cool the way my school works out. Kindergarten, first grade and second grade, we're all on a wing. So we're all super close. But I have to say, my teammates, I work with three other people, and we work together 24-7, kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, We text each other all the time. You know, ideas are always popping up. Sundays, I'll get text messages. Over summer break, we're always in constant communication. And I think that is a huge part in me loving my job. You know, I'm excited to teach because I love the people that I work with. And it's not a job. It's fun. We laugh together. We cry together. We go through all these ups and downs together. And it makes it that much more beneficial and that much more of a passion because you have these people that are going through everything with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, Allie, we're coming up on the one hour mark almost, and I want to end on a question I end a lot of the podcasts on. And I think it's highly relevant because you're a teacher. Can creativity be taught? Why or why not?
1: Absolutely, it can be taught. And I, it's not easy, because there are some people that do not have creativity within them. But like anything else, the more exposure, the more of that opportunity there is to grow. So for my students, I have some kids that don't know how to use scissors when they come in. And the more I can expose them to that, the more I can expose them to anything, the more of a chance that they're going to get. And for me too, if I can model that creativity and that outside of the box thinking, I'm giving them that opportunity to expand in it.
0: Yeah. And in this case, when you're, when we're talking about kindergartners, how are you defining creativity?
1: You know, there's creativity in art projects and, um, you know, that type of creativity, but a lot of it is creative thinking. And um, a lot of what we do is critical thinking. So not just yes or no questions, but why do you think that? Um, Can you explain what you're seeing in your head? Can you, especially with math problems, you know, we kind of learned that rote math, four plus four is eight, this is why. But a lot of my job is, you know, four plus four isn't just eight, like four is made up of two and two. And so kind of being able to see those things, instead of just that rote memorization, a lot of my job and why I have so much fun with it is because these five year olds, they see things in a completely different life light. Sorry, They're so innocent, you know, a hard day for them is they got in an argument with a friend. They don't see these things happening in the world, they don't have that clouded judgment, they love everybody, they want to do good. And so for me, just hearing them express themselves and hearing the words that come out of their mouth, sometimes it can help me be more creative, because they have such a different reality than us as adults.
0: Absolutely. And that was such a a good question to end it on, such a great answer. Allie, thank you so much for being on the podcast, for leading off this series of teachers and teaching creativity, and thank you for coming on. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.